0: Thank you. and welcome to Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. I am one of your hosts, Maria Malazzo, and for this introduction, I am flying solo. Brandon has so kindly um, offered to help me out by recording one of his essays that he wrote, For women in movies. And so he's going to talk a little bit about this after this introduction. But sorry to tell you guys that I was unable to get the episode edited and out in time, our serial mom episode. So you're going to have to bear with us um, for this little mini episode that we're doing about women in movies that Brandon will be doing. And that we will be back in two weeks with our serial mom episode. So enjoy. I recently watched Ready Player One for the first time. Here is a very loose synopsis of the plot. A young male player named Parzival competes in games for a fantastic prize. He meets Artemis, a young female player known for being one of the best in the game who plays for a more noble cause than Parzival. Artemis teaches Parzival to play for a higher purpose and helps him succeed. In the end, Parzival is declared the winner and he chooses Artemis to stand by his side. Now, this is an odd comparison, but the story reminded me of Harry Potter. Harry knows nothing of the Wizarding World when he goes off to Hogwarts, but he meets Hermione, who is probably the smartest girl in the school and is pretty much better than Harry at everything. She educates him in magic and the Wizarding World and even sets him straight a few times when he begins to stray morally. In the end, Harry wins the battle against the villain Voldemort, with Hermione and his friend Ron by his side. Now, that also reminded me of the Lego movie. In that film, Emmett, a young man who's pretty incompetent at pretty much everything, unwittingly finds an artifact of great power. He meets Wildstyle, a badass young woman who has been searching for the artifact for some time and is pretty competent at just about everything she does. Wildstyle guides Emmett along his journey, and you can guess where this is going. Emmett is the hero, and Wildstyle is the sidekick. In Western media, Movies, books, television, and even video games, it is not uncommon to have strong female characters. Thankfully, we're way past the need for every story to have a damsel in distress, but now we're on to the next problem. These strong female characters are often the smartest, the bravest, and most capable of all their comrades, but even when there's a strong female character, even if that female character is significantly more talented than the male lead, she doesn't get to be the hero. In fact, she's usually the one who has to coach the incompetent male lead to greatness so he can win the prize. In the movies, and in most Western media, if you're a girl, it's alright to be the best, but it's not alright to win. Now, this isn't always true, of course. There are stories where women get to be the heroes, such as Rogue One and Zootopia, and even 1951's The African Queen. The idea of a female hero is not unheard of, nor is it a recent invention, although it's certainly not a popular notion even today. But even films that feature a female hero can fall prey to other problems. There was a study of dialogue in 2000 screenplays published in April 2016 that was pretty eye-opening when I found it. It actually calculates, for each script in the study, what percentage of the dialogue comes from males and what percentage comes from females. Male dialogue dominated the list. 58 movies on the list were made up of 100% male dialogue. Now, by comparison, there were 58 movies, the same number, that were made up of 74% or more female dialogue. Even movies primarily about women, like Disney princess movies, were usually predominantly male dialogue. Like Frozen, a movie about two sisters, was 57% male. According to another article with similar data, Rogue One, with the very heroic Jin Erso in the lead, contained only 9% female dialogue. So, why is this? Why would women be given such little importance in the films we watch? Well, there are a few reasons. I've mentioned this in other episodes, but I write my own movie reviews for classic films. That's brandotalksmovies.com if you're interested. I have 183 movie reviews on this site. Want to guess how many of those were directed by women? I am ashamed to admit this, but here is a list. We've got City of God, Lady Bird, Little Miss Sunshine, Lost in Translation, and Marie Antoinette. So that's right, 5 out of 183, just shy of 3%. And two of these films had a co-director who was male. So even films that are deeply feminist, such as Colossal, were given to males to direct. Now, the directors aren't making most of the decisions about which roles to give to women and which to give to men. That power is in the hands of the writers. And I, unfortunately, am not tracking the writers of the films with my list, so I don't have complete data on this. But I did spot-check a few titles, and I saw a similar problem with the writers. They're predominantly male. If most of the writers and directors of big budget films are males, of course, there's going to be a skew in female representation. Most writers of any medium write heavily out of their own experiences. And yes, there are some men that are writing and directing films that are empowering for women, such as Nacho Vigalando, who wrote and directed Colossal, which had a great message for women suffering from abuse. But as long as we have this skew in writers and directors, we'll have this skew in film. So, the bigger question, why aren't we seeing more women write and direct movies? Well, there are a few reasons, and some are seemingly benign, and some are really problematic. Uh, Movie making is much like any other job in that the producers look at past work and experiences before hiring someone. And males have just dominated the industry pretty much since its inception. So, of course, they have more experiences. So they keep getting hired for bigger and bigger films. And so the studios view hiring a less experienced woman as a professional risk. And like you're dealing with budgets in the millions of dollars, often more, it's not a risk they're willing to take. So change is definitely needed, uh, but it is not as simple as just flipping a switch. There's going to be a lot involved with that change. Uh, But there are some reasons that are less practical. Male directors make a lot of lousy movies, but we never hear Hollywood say, well, that's the last time I'm hiring a man for that. And so it's not that men make better movies. Behind the camera, men just get more chances than women do. Because men are the default option, they're not blamed for mediocrity, but women are. Women directors are seen as risks, so they're expected to achieve excellence or take the blame for failure. My favorite film, Lost in Translation, was written and directed by a woman. It's very different than mainstream films. And it's a reminder that we'll get some amazing new perspectives as we we start giving women more power and more of a voice to tell their stories. Uh, But whether it's true or not, the studios have some perceived risks in solving this problem. Moviegoers need to reward the risks for movie makers to keep taking them. And that right there is the other half of this problem. Remember when they announced an all-female Ghostbusters and the internet shit its pants? Yes, I know it wasn't the best remake, but the backlash started well before the film was released, with a ridiculous amount of downvotes on the official YouTube trailer and a deluge of premature one-star reviews on IMDb. Now, some IMDb demographics on the Raiders revealed that even after the film's release, men rated it significantly lower than women. So what's with the hate? So the idea of empowering women is actually a popular one nowadays, but the practice of doing so is less developed. Movie making is a business like any other, and rarely do studios just afford filmmakers the purity of making films solely to put a good message out in the world. Studios make movies to make money, and that means focusing on popular ideas. So empowering women is, thankfully, a popular idea today. So hooray! Uh, but unfortunately, largely due to that gender imbalance in the industry, big film studios are woefully unaware of what it actually means to make a film that empowers women. Going back to Ghostbusters, and I actually missed seeing it, but based on the post-release reviews, it was pretty clear the focus wasn't on telling an amazing story or offering something significantly different that improved over the original. Now, there were some clever jokes, and they achieved by switching the genders. Most notably, there was Chris Hemsworth's character Kevin, who was given the same shallow eye candy role as the female receptionist in the original playing the double standard for laughs, but most people agreed that the film paled in comparison to its source material. Regardless of the intent, this attempt at female empowerment comes off as a gimmick employed to cash in on society's desire to empower women rather than a serious effort to actually do so. And sadly, that's not the only example. The recent gender-swapped Overboard only got a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, Ocean's 8 was a valiant effort but came in at 68%, Going back further, a gender-swapped reboot of The Karate Kid in 1994, starring Hilary Swank, got a measly 7%. And if you're wondering, these were all directed by men. So what's going on? There's a concept called the pink tax that describes an unfortunate reality for women. Razors, clothing, personal care products, and many other things are marketed separately to each gender. And the feminine versions are almost invariably either higher in price or lower in quality or both. Women pay a premium for products made for them. The wave of lousy gender swap reboots and poorly scripted female empowerment films is Hollywood's version of the pink tax. The premium women pay to see movies about them is usually lower quality and a lower budget. In most cases, filmmakers don't care about empowering women. They care about making money and they see female empowerment as a marketing tactic that will sell more tickets. And this is unfortunately hurting the public's image of female empowerment movies. But the problem is bigger than that. So yes, there are some viewers that have caught on to the trend of false female empowerment and rolled their eyes when a female-led film is announced. But there are also just as many men who truly don't believe women deserve a chance in the spotlights. So the excellent Mad Max Fury Road had an amazingly competent female lead in Imperator Furiosa, and men attacked her specifically, saying that women had no place in an action movie. When the BBC cast the very capable Jodie Whittaker as the next Doctor Who, men threatened to boycott. And I hate to keep harping on this, but remember that the brutal backlash against the new Ghostbusters began well before anyone knew how good or bad it would be. So for these angry critics, mostly men. All those ill-conceived grabs at the female movie watcher market we mentioned before just seem to confirm and reinforce their deeply ingrained beliefs that male characters are just better. So regardless of why it's happening, it's clear that many male viewers simply don't want strong female leads. Now, Of course, there are many who do, but studios who make a decision to earnestly empower women in their movies run the risk of incurring the wrath of angry fanboy audiences. This is another case of bias reinforcing bias. If you're wondering why we talk about things like racism and misogyny on this podcast, it's because of this. Those things are legitimately hurting the film industry. As I mentioned, this has had an impact on female directors not getting the same opportunities as male characters. And this, of course, impacts actresses with both their job prospects and their paychecks, but it also impacts what movies and media are being made. And that difference can be huge. Wonder Woman was a huge hit, and the studio got behind it in a real way, giving it a budget of $149 million and letting a great female director take the helm. This was a huge success, and the movie ended up being the third highest grossing in the studio's history. But the studio wasn't quite as sure about this film as it was some of its other efforts. For instance, the god-awful Batman vs. Superman was given a budget million billion higher than Wonder Woman, and the director's salary was quite a bit higher as well. But that was Zack Snyder's second film for the studio, his second Superman film, So for a fair comparison, let's look at his first film, Man of Steel, where that one also had a budget quite a bit higher than Wonder Woman, $75 million higher. Did those extra dollars pay off? According to Rotten Tomatoes, Man of Steel has a score of 55%. Batman vs. Superman has 27%. Wonder Woman has 93%. And director Patty Jenkins still had to fight to get the salary she wanted for the sequel, an amount equal to what Zack Snyder was paid for Batman vs. Superman. Now, I'm not bashing Warner Brothers here. They made sure Wonder Woman had the resources it needed, and they had the guts to really make this a female-led film rather than just another superhero film that featured females. And it was no doubt because of Wonder Woman's success that Marvel went back on their original statement that Black Widow would not have her own solo movies. And so, yes, there is going to be one now. Trailers are out for it, and it has a female director. But female-led films are still viewed as risky by most major studios, and that's undoubtedly holding other stories back. Television has similar problems. The Legend of Korra, an amazing follow-up series to Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender, features a female protagonist, but it almost didn't. The studio tried to get the showmakers to switch Korra's gender to a male, and production was delayed because the writers refused to back down. The writers fought for and won their case, and it paid off. But the fact that they had to fight for what was their best writing is a symptom of this problem. And video games suffer as well. Life is Strange, featuring some of the best writing I've seen in any game, has a female protagonist and a female sidekick. When small game developer Don't Nod started shopping around for a larger studio to finance the game's development, they were met with closed door after closed door. And they finally found one major studio, Square Enix, that was willing to finance the game. And this is a game way outside their wheelhouse. Having played Life is Strange and its prequel multiple times, there's no way this story could have been told with a male protagonist. This is a story we wouldn't have gotten had the studios had their way, and it's, in my opinion, one of the best stories in gaming history. Not every story needs a female protagonist, but there are a lot of stories out there that are made stronger by a female protagonist, and there are some stories that can only be told with a female protagonist. And as long as we have a gender imbalance in film and the film industry, many of those stories will be crippled or held back altogether. So what can we do? Well, the obvious answer is to support movies that truly empower women, whether that's strong female characters or talented female directors. Overcoming this bias is going to mean making female-led films seem less risky for studios, and the only metric that really matters there is sales. There are other things you could do to increase sales, like leave thoughtful reviews online and invite friends to see the movie with you, but the biggest thing we could do to combat bias is simply go to the movies. As a movie lover myself, that's a solution I'd get behind. And the other part of the solution is to call out bullshit sexism when you see it. If someone's causing a ruckus because they think female characters just don't belong in the spotlight, call them out. If a studio is using female empowerment as a gimmick to sell movie tickets but completely failing to actually empower women or make a good movie, call them out. We should be making women's empowerment less risky for filmmakers, but we should also be making blatant sexism more risky. That's a solution I could get behind, and I really hope you will too.